0: All right. Welcome to episode two of Failure.TV. I am Cray Mitchell. And today on the show, I have Kylie Woods, who is the founder of The Chic Geek out of Calgary, Alberta. How are you doing, Kylie?
1: I'm good, Cray. How are you?
0: I am doing absolutely fantastic. It's a wonderful day, nice and sunny. And uh, luckily, a lot of the smoke has disappeared out of BC, where we've got some raging forest fires because of some lucky rain we've had. So, feeling kind of good about the situation. We're uh, less smoky, less fire, and uh, that makes me feel good. <laughs> uh, so, um, you started the Sheet Geek back in 2013, was it? Mm hmm. OK, and this is a organization that is dedicated to helping women in technology um, get out there, more entrepreneurship, stuff like that. Um, basically, STEM careers. Um, do you want to explain STEM careers a, a little bit and what you guys do at the Sheet Geek?
1: Yeah, so STEM being science, technology, engineering, and math, and at Geek, we focus really more on the technology side of things. So we create a welcoming, supportive community for women exploring technology and entrepreneurship with a goal of increasing their confidence, learning new technologies, profiling more women as leaders and role models in the space, and ultimately increasing diversity in tech.
0: Absolutely. I have had the uh, absolute uh, awesome benefit of working with you on a couple of different events uh, that you had brought in. I think they were the uh, Ladies Learning Code uh, from Toronto when I was living in Calgary. You guys had put on a couple there that I volunteered for. And it was absolutely amazing to see what you guys were doing and to see the turnout of women in the community to help that. And you guys are kind of pushing it even more now. Last year you did the Geeky Summit and you're doing another one this year, correct?
1: We are. So Geeky Summit is the only conference of its kind in the province in Alberta which really celebrates women who are advancing technology and entrepreneurship. And, you know, Cray, you're a great example of a gentleman geek that supports women in tech and entrepreneurship and it's so important that we have all genders involved and we talk about, you know, Chic Geek is a community for women but men are more than welcome to attend and encouraged to actually be part of our community too.
0: Absolutely. I was uh, pretty impressed to see the different men that did turn out uh, to come and help uh, the cause when I was out there. And um, I think it's absolutely amazing what you're doing. Uh, I went to a web conference in San Francisco, it was about three or four years ago, and the turnout for women was at 7%, and it was the largest turnout that they'd ever had, and they've been doing the conference for like 10 years. Wow. So that really speaks to the amount of women that are getting into technology. Um, by far the funniest thing that had happened when I was there was uh, during one of the breaks when we all went to use the washroom, one of the women noted that this is the only time that they didn't have to wait in line to use the bathroom while the <laughs> right. men like lined up at the door. So. It, it hopefully over the next couple of years we can get those lines uh, those bathroom lines to be a little more equal because yeah. pretty much every woman that i've ever worked with in technology has been absolutely amazing at what they do and that is one of the reasons why i would like to help more with this kind of stuff is because i think uh, having more women in the in the technology sector is a a huge thing for technology a huge thing for women and just a huge thing for uh just the world in general, because you never know what's going to come out of these people uh, doing their work. So uh, when when is the Geeky Summit this year?
1: So this year it's happening November 8th uh, in Calgary at the Telespark Science Centre.
0: Awesome. And do you know how many people are going to be turning out already?
1: We're aiming for about 200 people. So it's uh, an increase from last year. and We're bringing speakers uh, both internationally from across Canada and then highlighting
0: local role models as well. That's simply amazing. Now, when you were initially starting this, uh, uh, what well, both Sheet Geek and and trying to get the the summit up and running, um, was there ever a point where you didn't think you were ma- we're going to make it, or you were hitting a roadblock and you could have very easily stopped everything right there and just given up this whole thing? Um, did, was there any points like that, uh, either at the start of the Sheet Geek or for the summit that uh, mm-hmm. we could talk about?
1: There are many points. Um, I'll try and pinpoint a couple. You know, Sheet Geek itself actually started as a really big experiment. So there was never any intention for, you know, me to ever start a nonprofit, to build a team, to, um, you know, start creating paid staff roles. Sheet Geek was just an experiment where we wanted to solve a problem we saw in the community, not enough women in tech. Um, so, I would say that one was more of an anomaly with Geeky Summit specifically, there have been many times, especially the first year we ran the event, when it felt like we weren't going to make it through like we weren't going to be able to pull it off like it was all a big sham, and there was so much pressure um, to do it right because we had been doing sheet geek um, you know we'd been in an organization for three years. Geeky Summit is the biggest fundraiser that we run so it it enables us to generate enough revenue to actually pay for our operating expenses the following year. So, you know, the cost of that being that if we don't do it, well, we won't be able to run next year. And that's a scary thing to to be. Um, So I think about last year, probably around this time when we were just launching geeky summit, uh, you know, 1.0, the very first event. And I think we probably had about 13 tickets sold. Out of 150 and it you know we're like two months out and we're like oh my goodness like we might not be able to fill the room and generate enough revenue for us to even run this event Mm -hmm. Um, so you know those were some of the small kind of failure moments that we came up to uh, where it was like we don't know if we can keep going this is really scary there's a lot on the line here but there was this kind of resiliency. I have this great team around me where we all committed to pushing through and we just kept going. It was we were scared. We don't know what's kind of in front of us, but we're going to keep going anyway.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a one of the big things when dealing with any type of failure is that the, the whole resiliency aspect, if if you're not going to be a resilient type of person, then the chances of you overcoming anything Are going to be a lot more difficult so that's definitely something that you have to get over yourself and kind of work on as something internally in yourself is how do we how do I become more of a resilient person now I have found that pretty much every entrepreneur that I've ever talked to has been that type of person, been more of a, a resilient person and and somebody that when the going gets tough, they're just like, screw it. I'm I'm going headfirst into this and, and seeing what I can what I can get done with it. So wh- where do you think that you got that resilience from? Like what happened in your life uh, when you were younger that just kind of made you go, you know what? I'm just going to keep trying.
1: Oh, I think if I'm honest, I. I probably don't have a lot of resiliency, Cray. Um, I think I have a lot of determination and a lot of discipline. But when it comes to resiliency, I probably that's a muscle I need to flex a little bit more. And I love the concept, I love the concept of resiliency. It's this, you know this quiet quality that we don't talk enough about, that we don't recognize the strength and the beauty in, but it carries us through so many things. And I think about my parents and how I was raised. And I think they did a lot of things to protect me from having to experience pain and hurt and failure. As parents, you know, do. Like, why would you want your child to experience that? But so I think that I I haven't experienced situations where I've had to pull on and practice resiliency as much as I could have. Mm
0: Mm -hmm. Well, definitely um, starting your own business and uh, working on these type of events uh, can definitely help with that, as you as you found out. And you made a really good point there that parents uh, tend to kind of baby us or uh, coddle us, I guess. And they don't want us to experience failure. They don't want to experience anything bad. And I think that is a huge thing these days, not just with parents, but with the education system as well, with the whole um everybody's a participant everybody gets you know everybody gets a trophy everybody's involved um when you look at it from that kind of perspective do you think that that kind of mentality kind of makes it harder for people to accept failure because their entire life they've been told you know you're doing awesome you're doing awesome you're doing awesome and nobody's actually said you know what you need to work on this part like you know you're doing good but you still have to work on these things to become better as opposed to just letting people fail let them have that losing moment and going beyond because that's something I'm I never really had as a kid. Like There, there were no participation trophies really. Um, it was win or loss. Uh, I know I used to play soccer when I was a kid and I remember going to the championships. Uh, I've got a little plaque somewhere because we made second and you know we really won first and that hurt. It, it hurt a lot but it didn't make us losers. It made us work harder and made us train harder and do more things and yeah we got a plaque out of it because we were second but we really wanted that first place but we didn't let it take us down Um, and I don't know if that would be different if we got like a participation trophy instead and just be like thanks for playing we'll see you again next year What, what do you think about that?
1: Oh I think it's a balance between you know participation recognition and you know encouraging people to fail because what participation recognition does is it creates a really safe, supportive, welcoming place. And a lot of the times we need that foundation in order to have the confidence to be willing to fail. Um, So, but we can't only have that. We also need to have opportunities and places where we do take risks and we do fall on our face and we have to get back up again. Um, So I'm not an expert, but I would say that it needs to be a little bit of both.
0: Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot more uh, companies uh, are learning that as well because there, you, you tend to see a lot of corporations that don't adopt the failure mindset just because of the risk involved. They don't want to lose a bunch of money. But when you work in the tech industry, there's this kind of fail fast mentality, like do as much as you can to figure out if this is going to work and fail fast. Like if it fails right out of the gate, awesome we know that this probably isn't the best thing to to work on but if you can figure out where that fail point is and then keep it going it kind of gives you more and I think it would be amazing if our education system would implement failure training basically of things that you were meant meant to fail specifically Um, have you heard of the pre-mortem no no, this is a really interesting concept that I actually found out about the other day when I was looking for some content uh, for for the show, actually. And I can't remember which I think it was out of a university that kind of they're they're kind of doing it. But you know, a postmortem uh, when it comes to uh, like life and death is you know after somebody dies, you you know you did the dissection, you find out what happened. Well, the premortem is figuring out what the failures could be ahead of time. So you know exactly what you can do in an instance where something is going the wrong way. So you know, you plan for A and B comes whipping around the corner and you're like, ah, what do we do? Doing the pre-mortem ahead of time will will actually help figure that, figure that out. And I think that would be a great kind of concept to introduce into the education system of being able to you know, figure out where fail points could be ahead of time. What do you think?
1: I really like the idea of looking for fail points specifically and, and, and creating like a backup plan. But I think part of the uh, concept and the premise behind failure is that they are often things you cannot control or prepare for. Um, so there is also an element of just, you know, problem solving and being able to deal with the unexpected that is also part of failure.
0: Absolutely. Um, now, when, when we talk about failure, everybody kind of has their, their own definition of failure and what a failure is. So h- how do you define failure? And when you when you talk about failure, do you think of failure more as, you know, the the destination or is failure the journey?
1: Hmm. So I guess my definition of failure, you know, it comes down to being small. And what that means is You know, living life small, working on projects that maybe aren't super scary, you know, are doable, and you're going to nail them every time. Failure is not trying for the big and scary things. It is like living life, trying to coast, and really not trying at all. Um, And in that context, failure is a journey. As much as difficult as it is for for me to accept, um, you know, it's definitely... It is not a destination. It is not the place you end up. It is how you get to where you need to be, and it's part. It's part of those steps that you take.
0: I think that's a, a simply amazing answer for that. And as somebody that has experienced a number of failures myself over the years, it was. It was always that. You know, the, there were certain failures where I got to that point where I knew that I had reached my limit for this. Um, And I still didn't consider it a failure because I had learned an immense amount about the situation, about running a business, what I could have done better, what I could do better next time. So even though I had tried for about three and a half years to get something up and running and it didn't work out in the end, I I still don't consider that a failure today. Whereas 10 years ago, I would have considered that a failure because I didn't get to do something.
1: Cray, I'd love to hear why failure is important enough for you to start a whole TV series around it uh, and maybe where where that came from.
0: Uh, sure. Well, um, to be honest, I, I wasn't very popular growing up. Um, if you think back to your elementary and high school days or junior high days, you know, there was always the geek. Well, I grew up in kind of a small town, so I, I was the geek from grade three all the way up until grade 11. And. That wasn't necessarily a failure in and of itself, but I was I was made to feel like a failure um, growing up you know you get picked on you get thrown into lockers you, you get all this stuff happening to you people constantly telling you you're no good you're not you're worthless you're, you're never going to amount to anything you kind of develop that mindset that I am a failure I am never going to amount to anything and it doesn't matter what I do it's just a bunch of crap anyway and even though I had gone through a bunch of that um, I realized very quickly after I graduated that the real world and school were two completely different worlds. And the way I looked at the world changed or started to change dramatically after graduation. It still took me a number of years to realize that, you know, failing something or running into roadblocks wasn't the end of the world. And how I handled those situations would help me out going forward. And that's how I started to figure out that, you know, just keep going and try the scary things and make an effort to do things and i've had people ask me that quite a few times over the past couple of years they'll the look at my resume and be like holy crap you have done a lot of stuff like how do you just do it I, I i don't have the the guts to do that i'm just like i just dive right in you know it if it's something that you're passionate about And something that you want to do, the way I look at it is, if it gives you that feeling in the pit of your stomach, like you want to throw up a little bit, then you should absolutely be doing it. Because if you're not getting that feeling, then you don't really have the passion for it. And it's really not something that you want to to go for. So if you start getting those feelings of, I want to throw up, then definitely go for that failure. So it was my hope that through all this stuff that I had done, that talking to other people, that there's going to be, A story that's gonna resonate with somebody somewhere and kind of like the teacher has that the the concept of if if one student if I can get through to one student make a difference in their lives then this is all gonna be worth it so that's kind of where I'm coming from for Failure TV is if I can make difference in one person's life and get them to hear a story that will take them from that scare point over the hump into that next stage and become that success that they've always wanted then I've done exactly what I came to do.
1: Thank you, Cray, for sharing that story. And just so you know, I was a geek growing up too, so you are not alone.
0: Excellent. It, it's kind of funny. Um, I read a, a quote from some multimillionaire probably about probably about seven or eight years ago, and he was talking to a group of students at, at a graduation, and he mentioned something along the lines of, geek used to be a terrible term and a term of, uh, it, it basically it was a bad word geek was a bad word now. It's a six six-figure salary and You know the concept of being a geek has gone from you know Being the loser to being the guy that can do all the technology stuff or the girl that can do all the technology stuff and now I wear I wear that label with a with, I, I wear it as a badge of honor like if you call me a geek or you call me a nerd. I'm like, yeah Damn straight. I am. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of that so um, Coming from from a similar instance in your life, you know, do, do you do the same thing? Like, do you, do you think that that's a badge of honor? Now, uh oh, looks like we might be having some technical difficulties here with Kylie. Uh oh, so. Welcome to failure.tv, where pretty much anything can happen. Uh, hopefully, Kylie can uh, jump back in the chat here because she looks like uh, technology froze up on us here. And, you know, that's uh, something that might happen uh, when we're dealing with technology. So it's, you know, well, not much I could do about it at the, at the time. And it's it's going to be something that we're going to run into it, uh, every episode here because we are using the internet. So, you never know when something's going to kind of fall out of place and uh, get disconnected and they might have to jump back in. So, you know, this is our failure point for the, for the episode, I think. I don't know what
1: happened, but I think I'm back.
0: Yes, I can hear you again. That is absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah, I saw that uh, you froze out there. Um...
1: Sorry, internet connection, uncontrollable failures.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, it's uh, it's not something that we can control. And that's what I was saying when you were going that, uh, you know, welcome to, to failure TV where anything can happen and we can lose an Internet connection and lose the guest in the in the middle. But uh, you're able to, to jump back on here. So that was fantastic.
1: <laughs> we were just chatting about the quote about how now geek was a, a six figure word or something like that and how exactly. that definition is changing. I love that. That's awesome.
0: Yes. Um, so my question to you was, because, because you have gone through a similar thing in your life where you you were the geek. Um, well, two thing, two questions for you. Um, do you do you now wear that uh, that title as a badge of honor like I do? Uh, that's question one. And do you think that um, do you think you would have achieved what you have if you didn't go through that?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I, I definitely wear that title as a badge of honor. And in fact, like Sheet geek was created around that. It was meant to celebrate, you know, owning your inner geek and being proud of it. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up in an environment where I was actually surrounded by a lot of other geeks throughout elementary school and high school. And you know, it was probably, it was more of an okay thing than it was maybe in your experience, Cray. Um, so that helped me gain a little more confidence around owning the word earlier because it was a little bit more accepted.
0: Well, that's awesome. Uh, unfortunately, because I was in a bit more of a smaller area, there, there wasn't really a lot of other geeks for me to, to hang out with. Um, but it definitely shaped who I am, because in order for me to escape the bullies, I went into the computer lab. So had, had I not gone through what I did, I probably wouldn't know half the stuff I do because I learned half the stuff of uh, or half of what I know um, for, from living behind the computer when I was trying to avoid everyone else. So it's uh, it's something that it took me many years to kind of get over and accept. And, you know, feel forgiveness and and stuff like that towards the the people that may have done me bad back then, because, you know, back then you don't really think about the things like what they're going through in their lives and what's happening in their lives that may be having them reach out or or not reach out, but uh, lash out like that. So it's 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 really good that I, I did go through that. I wouldn't say at the time it was a good thing but now that i've gone through it and i'm at that place in my life i think it's uh, i don't think i could have done it any other way
1: and that's you know that kind of silver lining perspective is probably part of resiliency
0: absolutely absolutely and um an- another thing that i wanted to talk about a bit on on the failure side of things is when you when you have a failure um do you personally do something different or does it affect you differently? If it's something that only you know about or only you and your team know about versus something that happens in public. So for instance, uh, if something goes wrong with the, uh, if it's something had gone wrong with the Geeky Summit last year, um, would you have thought about that failure differently or done anything differently than if only you and your team had known about it versus some of the attendees and some of the possible guests?
1: I wish my answer would be no, that we would handle private and public failure the same way. Um, but I think to, like I'm still I still feel very new to embracing and working through failure. So the real answer is yes, they are different. <laughs> um, so <laughs> when I think about a public failure, you know, that is something that I associate with feelings like uh, shame, humiliation. Yeah embarrassment like even saying those words kind of makes my heart clench I'm like oh god avoid at all costs. Um, those are very uncomfortable things to me I am not one of those people that's like yeah embarrassment like embarrassing situations like I'll just laugh it off like I get really uncomfortable and I I can like feel my body as I'm talking about it like heating up like my palms are getting sweaty and I know that when I'm in those situations all I want to do is run I want to get out of it as fast as I possibly can. Um, so when I'm feeling, you know, like if I'm in a moment of what feels like public failure, I think honestly my first reaction is to run. How can I hide from this? Usually, you can't, and then you need to figure out how you deal with it. Um, but it is, it is uncomfortable. Um, Absolutely. I think. I, I, I think
0: most people feel that way. <laughs>
1: For some reason, private failures are the ones that maybe you can sleep under the rug and you don't need to admit them to yourselves. But I think the public failures are the ones that you have to talk about, share, explain, and you have to work through it, which maybe in the long run is better, but in the short run can be painful. (laughs)
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you brought up some some really good points uh, in that in regards to the fact that people will, um, well, First, the the public failures make people feel uncomfortable. Um, Even saying the words makes people feel uncomfortable. And, you know, even though I have learned to, you know, accept failure, it it doesn't change that those emotions still happen. It's just that I've I've learned more how to accept those emotions and use them um, to push me beyond and just learn to, what's the word, experience those emotions. Whereas you had mentioned running from them and, and that's kind of a feeling that you get is you have to run from these feelings and they're not good and you got to get rid of them. But I think that feeling those feelings is huge. And it's, it's kind of the same thing when you like lose a loved one or something, you know, it's, it's never easy, but um, when you start to accept that something has happened and that it's something that you can't control, it, it starts to make it a little bit easier, it, it's still tough, but being able to, to get past that and work through it, I think makes it absolutely huge. And it'll make it easier for you the next time something happens, if you learn to do that the first time. And like I said, it, it took me many years to, to figure out that that's what I had to start doing and being able to sit alone with my thoughts and think about those failures and feel uncomfortable and find out what made me feel uncomfortable about those moments. Like, why am I feeling like this? Like, what is it about this particular situation that is making me feel that embarrassed? Like, you know, it could be like the tech issue that just happened. Like, it's something that you can't control and, you know, technology will just die sometimes. So, you know, to feel embarrassed about something that you absolutely can't control, it's like, well, why do I feel that way? Uh, Really helped me learn to, to accept that and and move past it into accepting accepting those failures a little bit more.
1: And I think digging into it and even acknowledging what those feelings are is, mm-hmm. is critical because, you know, I've learned that my fear of failure um, and those feelings associated with it has actually throughout my life career um, prevented me from dreaming big. So this mm-hmm. comes back down to my definition of failure, which is being small, but I know that when i need to put big dreams out there big goals that are scary and talk about them and share them with other people Mm -hmm. that historically i have chosen not to it's easier to keep those things to myself and i'll share them once they're done and accomplished but i won't share them while i'm still dreaming about them and and that makes it really hard to get people behind and supporting them and i had to do a lot of accomplishing those goals and working towards them on my own because of a fear of failure. So it, it was actually a really isolating uh, manifestation of those fears.
0: Absolutely, and you, you said something that touches base for me really well because with the whole concept of Failure TV, I came up with it about, what, it's 2017, so about 2014, 2015, and I had talked about it extensively when I went to a conference in 2015 because I was around so many creative people and I wanted to get their, I wanted to get their thoughts on the project. And everyone that I talked to thought it was a brilliant idea, and you know that kind of gave me more ambition to do it. But it was the fear of failing at something like this that kind of kept me from doing it, um, because it goes back to the whole public and private failures again. Whereas this is a monthly live stream. Like if I fail it's publicly out there, not, not just after I release it, but as it's happening, because again, we, we can't control anything like that. So it was, it was always in the back of my mind that something might happen to that live stream. And I might just get completely blown out of the water. And then about three months ago, four months ago, um, I was talking to a friend of mine and they were going through something and I can't remember what it was that they said, but it, It really just resonated with me and it's like you know what it's time to get off my ass and get this project going because it's not going to happen otherwise I really want to do it everybody that I've talked to thinks it's a really good idea so I'm just gonna do it so I I talked to my buddy Nikita who uh, was our first guest and I had talked to him about being the first guest um, pretty much since its inception, and we had talked about it last year just after I had moved, but um, my father had just passed and I just moved, I was looking for work, and it just, it really wasn't the right time uh, then, and now was kind of the right time. So we set the date, um, I started promoting it, I built the website and everything else, and it's like, there's no turning back now, its it's out in the world, hundreds of people know about it, like, I can't just be like, yeah, you know what, I'm just not going to do it now. And you know, reaching up to different guests and talking to people about coming onto the show and booking those appointments—it um, still gives me a little, some anxiety. I, I'm not going to lie. Um, reaching out to people has always been tough for me, and to just cold call has always been one of the worst things for me. And. I've been cold calling people in, in some instances, um, people I've met before, people I know, people that follow me on Twitter. Um, in some instances, I am shooting for the stars here. I am I'm going for the biggest possible failures that that I can. I have reached out to John McAfee on Twitter. He follows me. He's the guy that created uh, McAfee Antivirus. And I've reached out to somebody who I look up to quite a bit, uh, Adam Savage. Um, one of his quotes is one of my favorite on failure, and that is, failure is always an option. So. I was like, you know what? The worst he can say is no. So I sent him an email. And same thing for all these other big name people that I have no idea who they are and everything that they get probably gets read by somebody else. But shoot for the stars. Try it. Like take those, go for those big dreams. And now I'm I'm sharing those big dreams live here. <laughs> like hopefully that will help.
1: Good for you, Craig. Somebody. Yeah. You're doing, you're sharing your big dreams, you're doing scary things. It's funny how, you know, this was such a big fear of yours, a fear and a dream, but you almost just started putting things in motion and then you had to start sprinting to keep up. And then yeah. it's like, you you can't even be in your head and be thinking about, is this going to fail? Because you're so busy making it happen.
0: Exactly. And, you know, that's that's one of the things in, in overcoming the failure um, that, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I heard quite a bit when I was thinking about doing different things in my life is, you know, Nike slogan, just do it. Because as soon as you start getting into it, that gets that ball rolling, it gets your mind going, and it just really kind of pushes you over that edge so you, you have that momentum to, to keep going. Once you start feeling that excitement about this is actually happening, I'm actually doing this, it just makes you want to do it more.
1: Totally. Love it.
0: Yeah, and I think looking back throughout history at some of the world's most influential and successful people, um, they kind of have that that outlook um, on life of, you know, let, let's just do it and see what happens. Let, let's give it a try. But, you know, before they succeeded, they also failed many, many times. Um, when, when I was talking to Nikita, we had brought up people like uh, – Thomas Edison who failed many times trying to come up with a light bulb and uh, James Dyson who did over 3,000 prototypes of his vacuum before he created the vacuum and like Michael Jordan, Oprah Winfrey and all these people that, you know, have failed time and time again or have been told that they were never going to do anything like Oprah was told she would never be a television host, Mm. you know, plus everything else that she experienced in her life. So being able to kind of look at other people as as a way to get over your own fears again kind of led me to to do this because if we can get more people like to realize that it's not just the famous people that go through those failures everybody throughout their life whatever point in their career whatever point in their life is is going through a failure from from the time they're a baby to the time that you die you are going to experience failure you are going to Run into roadblocks, but how you overcome is, is what's going to, to be that uh, that difference for you. Um, do you have any examples of when you have failed spectacularly and it's either you know, helped you finally get over that failure into something else or push you into another direction to succeed elsewhere?
1: Huh, okay, let me think. Um, one failure story that comes to mind is that Sheik Geek was participating in, uh, it's called Social Venture Partners Fast Pitch. So it's like a pitch competition for nonprofits. Okay. And when we were competing, we were a really new, young organization. We didn't have any paid staff at that point, And we were competing against organizations that were hundreds of years old, that were working with million-dollar budgets. And so you all get on stage and you have, I think it was like a three-minute pitch. And everyone goes in the semifinals and you get selected to proceed to the finals. So we were participating in this nonprofit pitch, and I had put out this dream that I wanted to win it. Like I wanted Sheet Geek to take, like, take it home. Yeah. Um, and so we worked our butts off. It was not just me who was pitching, but I had a couple other team members, volunteers come along for the ride, write their own pitches, practice their pitches. We were working with coaches. We took it really seriously. And, it, you know, this thing in the back of my mind is that we are going to win. That's the goal is to win this competition. And To win know, it. Exactly. We were 100% in. And I remember the semifinals. I was the last person to present. And I stepped up to that microphone. And I delivered the best pitch of my life. Like, it was, <laughs> hands down, the best pitch ever. And I remember looking around the room and people were smiling and nodding and agreeing. And they were super excited to be there. And I fed off that energy. And... In the end, I was like, okay, I gave it, we gave it our all. I did the best that I possibly could. And I felt good about it. And the next morning was when everyone was notified who would be moving forward to the finals. And I remember I was working in a good earth coffee shop and I had my computer open and that email came in and I was like, I read it and I was like, where's she geek? I was looking for our name. Where are we? Where are we? Wait, what? I must have missed it, I read it a second time, still not there, read it a third time. And that's when it started to sink in that we weren't on the list and we hadn't made it to the finals. And I, <laughs> I burst into tears at Good Earth, great way to start the morning. Um, I was so disappointed that we had put in everything. We like fully gave it our all with the intention of winning, and we didn't even make it past the semifinals. Mm -hmm. And so that was so disappointing that all your work felt like it was for nothing because we didn't achieve our big goal. And the one thing that I learned from that experience, and this one has been super valuable in dealing with failure as I move forward, is that it's not good enough to only set end goals. An end goal was, I wanna win this competition you also need to set process goals, which are ones that you will achieve along that journey through your own effort. So one of our process goals, which we had never really articulated, was that we wanted to refine our messaging at Geek. how we talk about the organization. And we want our team members, all of our volunteers, to be stronger at talking about the organization in any of their conversations. And because of the fast pitch process, we actually nailed that goal. So, you know, we didn't make it to the final, we didn't win, but it made us a stronger organization because now we've got an entire team of people who are talking about Sheikki the way that we want to be talking about ourselves. And so that was an amazing experience.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's exactly the way people should look at it. And in an instance like that, when you are competing against so many other super talented people, it's... You know, it's always disappointing when when you don't become that person, but to know that so many other people did uh, get to go. And I've had that happen myself um, recently. I uh, Somebody else was chosen over me to, to do a presentation and somebody asked me if I was upset about that. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not upset, disappointed. Absolutely. You know, I would I would have loved to do it. But, you know, I, I, I got the chance to, to do it three times before. So you know what? It would have been amazing to do it a fourth time, but I'm not going to be upset that somebody else now gets that opportunity because I work with a lot of extremely talented people. So um, I think that's another thing that people need to think about in in failures is that, you know, what may be considered your failure could be somebody else's success. And in order for us all to, to keep going kind of have to have those failures successes failures, successes it's, it's not going to be success 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 uh, going up the up the road because you know at, at some point that's got to stop and some point you're going to to run into yourself and have an issue so you know prepare as much as you can for it um one of my favorite sayings is you know expect the worst prepare for or prepare for the worst expect the best uh, or hope for the best and i always do that I, i'm always preparing for the worst Um, I earned myself the nickname uh, the devil's advocate so many years ago because I would be the guy in pretty much every meeting that would be like what if this happens what if this happens what if this happens and people are always like well we'll cross that bridge when we get to it I'm like we need to have a contingency plan like if this happens okay we can you know that we can deal with when we get to it but if this happens we need to know what we're going to do if that happens because again you never know what's gonna happen. You you know you plan for, for one thing, but something else will happen. And this is also why I hate that question, where do you see yourself in five years? Because where I see myself in five years and where I'm going to be in five years are two different things. Because life doesn't care what you want. <laughs> life will just keep throwing obstacles in your way and, and trying to knock you off the path. And you know the more that you can be like, yeah, I'm just gonna take all these things and that you throw at me and I'm gonna build a ladder out of them to get over that next wall. Screw you, life. I'm just going to do it anyway. So I think that's, you know, the way that we need to look at things in life and and how we're going to move on. So if you could give somebody one piece of advice right now to either overcome a fear or to push them towards their success, what, what would it be?
1: Mm-hmm. I think I'd have two pieces of advice. Can I do that? Absolutely. <laughs> um, the first one would be to practice and practice with things that are small that you would be okay and comfortable failing at, and recognize them as, "Hey, I'm going to take this as a failure practice moment," and take the time to reflect on it after it happens and kind of just recalibrate yourself. And you do that enough times, and you start to you start to really build your failure muscle. So when it comes to the point where you're faced with a really big failure, you're gonna automatically know what to do. Yeah. So practice practice Absolutely. with the small failures. Um, I think the second thing is to surround yourself with people that inspire you, that you can look to their failures and learn from, who are still undergoing multiple failures. Um, I think when you surround yourself with positive people, it gives you well, the confidence and the willingness to keep trying and taking risks. Um, and having that solid support around you is really important.
0: Absolutely. I think uh, having that uh, strong support network, friends, family, um, other people in your industry, even outside of your industry can be huge. Um, actually, that's that's one thing I actually suggest to people is um, talk to people outside of your own industry, like from an industry that you would think could never have anything to do with your own industry because you never know what could develop out of that. Like so many things have come out of that. Like I was talking to somebody about neural marketing the other day and that came from somebody in marketing talking to somebody in neuroscience and figuring out that they could use MRIs to actually see what's happening in people's brains when you're running advertising and they figured out that people lie. They don't think they're lying. They think they're being honest with you, but you know, it has changed marketing for the better or for the worst, depending on how you look at it. Of course, (laughs) if you're one of those people that really hate marketing, then obviously for the worst, but you know, i think even if you hate marketing it's made it better because now you're going to be targeted with things that you're more likely going to work with or or uh react to as opposed to just a whole bunch of stuff that you're like i don't care at least now you're going to get a little bit more things up your alley as opposed to just hey who can we hit with this
1: <laughs> totally that's fascinating
0: yeah it 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 really is and I still don't understand it, but you know, I, I love telling people that if you're if you're gonna do something and you want to talk to people, try and talk to people outside of your industry because you you really never know uh, what's going to happen there. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: excellent. Anyway, I want to thank you very much for for coming on the show today, Kylie. It's uh, been an incredible pleasure to have you, and uh, hopefully, we'll get uh, lots of extra uh, views and subscriptions uh, from our conversation today. And uh, thanks again for coming.
1: Thanks a lot for having me, Cray.
0: No problem at all. You have a wonderful rest of your day and uh, we will talk soon.
1: Absolutely. See ya. All right.
0: Thanks very much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, We will see you next month. Uh, Next month, we've got Michael Perry, who is the former CEO of Kit and the current uh, product manager of Kit for Shopify. We will see you then. Have a good month.